So nice, I saw all turtle tops at Woolworths have sold out. I got so many letters this week, thank you so much for all of them. I never read any of them, I thought there might be a booby trap or something like that in there. So I didn't open one, one. I just saw not one single letter. And um, just so that you feel like um, we're not leaving out anybody, the title of my message today is Put Your Bourbos on the Bryflace. And if you think I'm being rude, it's from the Bible. So um, it's a true story from the Bible. So if you're here uh, for your first time, it's nice to have you. And uh, we're doing Romans. We're in the second part of Romans, which is um, your wortels bepaal your wandels. Does that work? Who's that? English, your roots determine your roots. God's grace. Say God's grace. Say in view of God's mercy. Say in view of God's mercy. So everything is in view of God's mercy. And so whenever there's a behavioral pattern in the Bible, it's always in view of God's mercy. Everything is in view of God's mercy. And so when God sends a guy from Uffies who drives a Land Rover and supports the bulls, you've got to think, oh God, be merciful to me. <laughs> How we are going, on earth are we going to worship with them? But God has to make a plan for us to worship with them. Amen? In view of God's mercy. Say in view of God's mercy. So let's read Romans chapter 14, and we'll come back to it at the end. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, buravos. But another man whose faith is weak eats only chicken. Can you see it up there? You see it? He eats only chicken. Why on earth would you just do that? The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. In view of God's mercy, God has accepted him. I wrote down here, rooibos and five roses. I say rooibos. Who says rooibos? Who says five roses? I have to worship with you. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, bulls and sharks. I say sharks. Who says bulls? You see what I have to put up with? Uffies and Bartercliff. I say Vartecliff. <laughs> Who says Uffies? Oh, you pathetic. <laughs> You're so quiet. You shout at a ball with 30 sweaty men running around. You come to church like, ooh. <laughs> Loud music and soft music. I like the quiet stuff, the hymns. Uh, All this loud stuff, I don't like it. Loud, soft. Who, who, who likes loud? Who likes soft? You're in the wrong place. <laughs> Introvert, extrovert. Introvert guys like me who prefer cats to people. 
<laughs> and some of you guys who wear Hawaiian shirts to church. As my physiotherapist who I met this morning told me, as you aantrek, would it like as you kijk to gaan, nie strand to gaan nie. Thank you, physio. Camping versus hotels. Camping? Yeah, all yellow boeren, eh? You take the whole of Skakuza, that whole section there is Skakuza. You can't get there in July. Can I please camp in July in Skakuza? No, Satara, there's no chance. The English oak can't get into Skakuza, Satara. They haven't got in since 1960. <laughs> that whole camping section is just, it's taken. So for that reason, I joined Marriott Hotel, so at least I can get a bedroom in July. A Woolies versus Kingsley Heath. I can check all you checked oaks. <laughs> Americana versus cappuccino. Americana. Cappuccino? You see, friends, we are so different. We are so different and we're just talking about very superficial issues. But God says in view of His mercy, you're going to have to learn how to get on. You're going to have to learn how to get on. Amen? And so if I can give you a quick brief, because the time is, is, is up. If I can give you a quick brief on Romans chapter 8, it really works with eight sets of relationships. Number one, our relationship with God. In view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Put your whole body on the line. Everything. Put your whole body on the line so that you might test and approve what God's will is. Good, pleasing. Say pleasing. Pleasing. pleasing good, pleasing, and perfect. In human nature, we walk away from pain and towards pleasure. That's how human beings work. It doesn't matter if you're going to the toilet or buying a car. You walk away, to, away from pain and towards pleasure. The reason why you go to the toilet is because you want the pain to stop. So the whole of life is away from pain and towards pleasure. That's how we grow up. But Jesus reversed that and he walked towards pain so that he could break the power of pain in our lives so that we could actually understand what pleasing looks like to God. And so Jesus went and put his body on the line so that our sexuality would not have to be defined by what our impulse says, but we can actually find a sexuality that is pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. And so when we actually start to find God's ways, when we put ourselves, say, but I've got all these impulses, because the Bible says, don't be conformed by the way of the world. The world has got a perspective on everything. Right now, there is a gender perspective that is running wild. It's very simple in the Bible. God created male and female. I will stand up in any place, and if they want to put me in jail for that, they can put me in jail for that. But the Bible says God created them male and female. And before we actually start the argument, but people have got free choice, let's go and look at the people who have converted and ask how many are converting back and how many are happy. And let's go to their home life and see what their home life was like. And let's go and see if they were abused or not abused. And let's go and have the argument around nurture and nature. And so you say to me, why are people gay? Some of them are gay by nurture. I believe some are gay by nature. I believe they were born like that. And then we have to have a conversation around that. What does that look like in God's economy? Because the gays and the gossipers in Romans chapter 1 are put in exactly the same category, friends. And so then you've got to go and work it out. Then we've got to sit down with the theology. Then we've got to wrestle it through. But I'm not going to be conformed by the gender agenda 
that is going on in the world and say everybody must conform by two or three percent of people that are starting to call people it. Male and female. That is it. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. He's saying to me, Rory, are you standing up judging? In view of God's mercy. If a man in this church can trust me with a physiotherapist that's gay, that is one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid in my life. Because somehow they know that I will go into that room with the view of God's mercy inside of my heart. And if you sit under this teaching for any length of time, you will understand what the mercy of God and the grace of God can do. It can change you. It can change you. I don't have to be conformed. I can just to be transformed. I had a farmer who phoned me yesterday morning, early in the morning. He's been sitting here for 10 years under my preaching. And he said, Rory, there's a situation that is very severe in, in the city where, where something happened very severe. And the only man I could think of to deal with it is you. I'm talking about an Afrikaans family that have been through a very difficult time. It's taken that man. I said, you're finally understanding grace. He said, it's taken me 10 years, but I'm finally understanding it in view of God's mercy. Offer your body as a living sacrifice so that you might be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing. Say good. Pleasing. pleasing. And perfect will. So when God talks about sexuality, He's not trying to stop your fun. He's trying to prepare you for your future. The second relationship I have in view of God's mercy is the one with myself. We spoke about it. The, the, the picture, somebody took a picture when I was drunk for drink last week. He took a picture and he sent it around. And I looked terrible, but drunk for drink and Dutch courage are the two things that we, I'm not useless. I can lead. I can lead a church. I can lead a big church, but I'm not the biggest church leader in the city. And so actually, I don't say, oh, well, I'm nothing. And actually, you know, no, I, I can lead. I can lead a church. I'm a decent preacher. People come back to church. But you know what? There are better preachers in the city. There are bigger churches in the city. There are greater worship leaders in the city. There's greater growth in the city. I understand that, but I'm comfortable with who I am. Is that guy a great piano player? I think he's an incredible piano player. Are there better piano players? Of course there are. We're not always looking for the best. We're looking for what God's given us. And then as we find our place, everybody starts to operate. We, we live with a kind of a sobriety. I'm not... I, you, when you're with me, there's peace. I'm not always looking for something or pushing for something or trying to get bigger. I, we, we sort of find a peace with each other. Because people are burning out left, right, and center because the conformity of the world is you've got to get the top. What is the top? What is the top? Surely it's, it's when you understand how God has designed you and you live in the fullness of that. Amen? And, 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 and yet we are so competitive and these things so define us. So Land Rover and Toyota. and You know, friends, we, we have a, a rivalry at our school back in Natal. That rivalry actually only exists because you've got two great establishments. You take one establishment away and that rivalry falls on its face. And, and so actually when you have an introvert and an extrovert in God finding each other, you have an incredible partnership. I want to tell you, in, in, I've, I've served God for a long time. This, is, this has got to be one of the greatest covenantal partnerships I've ever had in my life. My, my son, who did so well in rugby, he, 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 was, he was number eight. 
and I get this deposit in my account, 8888, 8888 rand and 88 cents. Enjoy the rugby. And I thought, who, who, how, what, God, who could do that? And I thought, there's only one man that knows me well enough to do that, and it's Stephen. And I walked into his office, and I said, Stephen, did you put that money in my account? And he just smiled at me, and we hugged, and I walked out. You know, you know, when we asked to sow into his life, there was somebody who put an amount of money in our account this week, seven, 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 for Stephen Dollenberg's sabbatical. I don't know who you are, but I want to tell you it's a response to eight, 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 eight. Somebody put seven, 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 seven. This is an introvert. I'm an extrovert. He works through his head. I work through my heart. But as we partner together, as we understand, I understand my limitations and he understands his. He understands his gift and I understand mine. I trust the church becomes healthy when we preach together. Amen? And, and, and every one plays the violin, the other one plays the drums. One plays the piano and one sings. And together we start to hear a harmony. Say this, I have a gift in my life. And when I use it, the church starts to flourish. Amen? Is Gierki here today? Gierki is here so. Is she here? Is there a lady here called Gierki? The third relationship we have is with each other. And the Bible says God has given gifts. Say He's given gifts. Some gifts of hospitality, some gifts of giving. I don't know who the person is in this church, but there's a person called Yahweh. I know that's God. But, but they've got a gift of giving. And because of that one person who's giving gifts, this church is the most generous church I know. We, we just managed to give money away and away and away and away because there's some people in this church who have got gifts of giving. And we don't have to hype it up. We don't have to shout and scream. It just keeps coming in. And I just see this money, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And Yahweh means Lord. It means the redemptive name of God. And when that money comes into our church, I know it's not for us. It's to redeem people. It's to send it out. It's to make people whole. It's to create opportunities for, God to be for people to be touched. And so we have this relationship with one another where we serve each other. It says, actually, don't put yourself in the middle. Get yourself out the middle and serve people. What's your gift, Stephen? Healing. Healing. What's your gift, Elmin? Encouragement. Encouragement. What's your gift, Mr. Pilot? Flying. Flying. <laughs> of course. Who's got a sore leg or a sore hand or a sore arm? Yeah. Yeah. Come, man. Come. What's so, man? What, man? You broke your leg. Can you pray for you, Stephen, please? Right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence. 
thank you for healing this lady right now. Heal her leg, O oh Lord. Mend these broken bones in Jesus' name. As we're stretching our hands towards this lady, Lord, thank you for healing virtue. Flow right through her right now. And we speak to this body and we say, Hear the words of the Lord. Be healed. Be restored. Be made whole. Be touched by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I speak right now that you will be restored. That you will be made whole. That you will walk in freedom. That you will walk without pain. Jesus. Pain, go. Amen. And sitting inside here is every person with a gift. Every person with a gift. What's your gift, dear Pierre? Creativity. So you can start a business from nothing. Called Vusmoy. You can, start up, you can start up shops everywhere. And you can employ people. And you can be generous. Amen? What's your gift, Annie? Serving and encouraging. Serving and encouraging. Yeah. And how many meals have you made, do you think, since you've been in this church? How many meals do you think you've made, Annie? Can't count you can't count. What do they call you, my brother? Mr. D. They call you Mr. D. They call him Mr. D, Mr. Delivery. <laughs> No, friends, friends, you don't know how holy this moment is because in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, I live with a lady with the gift of hospitality. At 9 o'clock last night, the banana breads came out because these oaks eat bananas, especially when it's in bread. I try and get them to eat bananas without bread. They don't really go for it. I'm not a monkey, Dad. If your mother puts it in bread, will you eat it copiously? And then she just put one on the plate. And she walked across to our neighbors with a rose from her garden and said, God bless you. What's your gift? What is your gift, friends? Because you know what it goes on to say in Romans? It says, actually, we must love our neighbors. Say, love your neighbor. Some of my neighbors are sitting here. It just says, it's just this whole thing. In view of God's mercy, love you. I, I know my neighbors. This side is Tommy and Marita. That side is Pete and Hesty. This side is Francois and Hunley. And next to them is Marius and Teresa. They should be sitting over there. They've got two dogs. They've got two dogs. They've got two dogs. They have 102 dogs. And those oaks over there that I call by his business name because I don't know his name, they've got a barking dog. They can bark at five hours without stopping. <laughs> and the people this side are, are, are Cameron and Claudia. Do you know how I know? Because I pray for my neighbors. And I don't like dogs. <laughs> and you know, there was a situation in Moraletta Park a couple of years ago where the man got onto his veranda and he shot his neighbor's dogs dead. Then the neighbor came out, so he shot his neighbor dead. And then the security came out and he shot the security dead. Then the head of the homeowners association came and he shot him dead. True story, you can Google it. You see, what happens, friends, if we don't allow God to get into our heart, a barking dog ends up with murder. 
I don't have a problem with dogs anymore. You think I, I met a man in the, in the, in the, in the outside last week. He's a dentist whose, whose brother-in-law is one of my neighbors. And he said, hey, Rory, I'm, I'm, I said, I know who you are. You're a dentist. He said, yeah, I came back from England. I said, I know who you are. I said, your brother-in-law is my neighbor. He said, yeah, you spoke about his dogs. I said, you know the most incredible thing through the book of Romans is that love has so overtaken my heart that I can't hear dogs barking anymore. You say to me, Rory, you're talking rubbish. I promise you, I promise you, I can't hear the dog anymore. You see, otherwise we're sitting here in church thinking, you know, praise to you. It's, it's got to affect my everyday life. It's got to affect. And I thought, I have to pray for these people. I have to love them. I have to care for them. I, the guy in front of me has got no access to God other than my prayers. And every time I hear his dogs bark, I say, shut up. I'm going to close the door to God. Actually, just out of fun every night, my wife will tell you, not every night, once a week. I go onto my brain and I go, <laughs> and I hear two, four, six, eight, a hundred and two, they all go, <laughs> and I say, love your neighbor as yourself. And for you that are not paying toll fees, read Romans 13. It says, pay your toll fees and your taxes. In view of God's mercy. Tomorrow, go and get your toll. You say, I don't pay tolls. Just go and get your toll. Does that mean we can never have civil disobedience? No, it doesn't. Tutu took on the government for apartheid. But the Bible says we must submit to our authorities. When Paul wrote that letter, Rome was being led by Nero. So we'll talk about these things. We'll talk about these things. And actually, one of the relationships we have with, is with today. Say today. today. You know what he says? In light of today, you know what it says in Romans chapter 13, Jan? You know what it says? Don't look. You paid by the church, you should know. In the beginning. You know what it says? Close your eyes. Lift your hands up. I'll tell you what it says. Are you listening carefully? Wake up! <laughs> if you don't believe me, go and read it. It says, wake up. And you know what? I met a man. He's sitting up there. I think, Michael, where are you? You're sitting up there somewhere. I saw you sitting on the aisle somewhere. I met a man outside there today. He's got an incredible business. He's pumping. But you know what? He got sick. And I said to him outside there, I said, how's everything? How's your business going? He said, you know what, Rory, it was a wake-up call for me. You see, when I know God, there's got to be a day where I wake up. Because actually, the way left to myself, I just start drifting. I drift, and I drift, and I drift, and I drift. And one day, Paul says to him, wake up! And so when my son gave me his spring tie, 
I said, oh God, this is amazing, and I celebrated, but I felt God speak to me about my husbanding, and I said to my wife that day, my babe, for the next 30 years, I commit myself to kindness over your life because I feel like I've drifted with my husbanding, and I want to be a woken-up husband. We've had a tough week, Mel and I. No, no, you, I, the reason I've preached off the floor is because I'm not standing up here so I've got it all together. We've had a tough week. I don't handle confrontation well. When I get confronted, I go quiet. And so we had a couple of quiet days. And I told the whole church, 30 years of kindness. You go to bed, I say, I don't feel very kind now. She said, no, I realize that. And we had to work it through. And I said, babe, this is what happened. I said, this is what happened. 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 Can we bring this under God's mercy? And for you guys who eat vegetables and go to Uffies and drive Land Rovers, can I have grace for you? Because you know what it goes on to say? It says, but, but what about food and what about wine? Friends, I have met about eight people in the last three weeks I've met eight people where alcohol is a major issue in their homes. It's a major issue in their homes. If you grew up with alcohol, it is a very powerful thing. But some people are completely free with alcohol. And you know what? The devil didn't create alcohol. God did. The devil's too stupid to create alcohol. God created it. But the devil, like he jumps on sexuality, like he jumps on money, he jumps on alcohol. And now the Bible says, don't drink if it's going to cause someone to stumble. And don't eat pork if somebody's going to stumble. And don't eat meat if somebody's going to stumble. You're going to say, that, well, just get a greater conscience. And so, friends, this kind of worship for me, is remarkably conservative. I grew up in a wild worship house. And I realized, people say to me, Rory, you're pushing us and pushing us and pushing us. Because I have a freedom in my heart of worship, friends, if I can stand at a rugby match with 50,000 people and I don't keep quiet, I stand on the chairs, I tell the ref exactly what I think about him. If I can stand and express myself in that environment, surely then I can come to church, to the living God, and express myself. But I read Romans 14 and it says, some people don't have the freedom that you have, Rory, so stop pushing them. Some grew up in conservative homes. Some people have conservative natures. And so somehow between the Word of God and our upbringing, we have to find a place where we coexist. I know this. I know this. I know some marriages that would have been saved if somebody or one person had given up drinking. But you say, I don't have a drinking problem. They say, no, you don't have a drinking problem, but they've got a problem with drink. Amen? So what happens if you're married to a vegetarian? You see, these things are These things are difficult. And there are some vegetarians in this church. He says, so how do we coexist? How, how do you build a marriage where your wife's got to cook meat and she doesn't like the smell of meat or she doesn't like the fact that animals have had to die to give the meat and you're quite happy with bourgeois every day? Do you understand? 
in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, you have to know what God has done for you so that you can actually give that to other people. I hope that I'm a gracious leader. I know I'm a cheeky leader. I know I'm all of those things. But I hope I'm gracious enough that I realize by the fact that I support the Sharks and prefer Toyota and like cappuccinos and am introverted by nature, I, I know that before we even get to the door, I would have offended some of you and you would have offended me. But by the mercy of God, say the mercy of God. By the mercy of God. By the mercy of God, we're going to have a violinist and a piano player and a drummer and Mr. D and Mrs. Hospitality and Mr. Healing and Mrs. Encourager and Mr. Flying. May God use your flying for His glory, Emil. May God use your flying for His glory. And Mr. Hospitality up there. And I know a man sitting there has got an incredible gift. Anton, why don't you stand? How many books have you written? 25 books. You can be seated. 25 books. When I first came here, he came and said, Hey, Rory, why don't we write a book together? I said, That's a great idea. So we had, we had breakfast at the Mug and Bean in Woodlands, and I went home and I started to write, and I realized I can't write books. <laughs> but he can. He can. If I asked my son, if I asked him, he captained his school and ended up captaining his country. If I say to him, what was the most useful resource that you had this whole year in captaining your team? It was a book that that man wrote. He wrote a book called Captains and Coaches. He wrote it with Nick Mallet. And he gave me a copy which he signed. And I gave it to my son and he said that was the most useful resource. You see, just a guy, how old are you, Anton? A 58-year-old guy who writes a book and helps a 17-year-old man. That's how the church works. And so we've got alcohol, and we've got neighbors, and we've got barking dogs. And we've got worship styles, and we've got religious upbringings, and we've got all of those things. And say this with me, in view of God's mercy. Close your eyes and say, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Keep your eyes closed. There's a lady sitting in our meeting today. Her name is Natasha. She flies down to Cape Town tomorrow with her husband. And on Tuesday, she goes in for an eight-hour brain operation. We are her family. We pray together right now with your eyes closed. Say, Heavenly Father, Natasha. Say, Heavenly Father, Natasha. Heavenly Father, Natasha. 
Let's pray for the doctors. Lord, would you touch the doctors' hands? Would you touch their minds? Would you coordinate their surgery? Would you bring it to full healing? Lord God, would they successfully remove the tumor? You bring it to full healing, I pray, Lord God. Your grace and your mercy and your power and your love. As we close, just remember this. Eight relationships. In view of God's mercy, I have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with myself. I have a relationship with the believers in the church. I have a relationship with my enemies. Bless them and do not curse them. I have a relationship with my government. I have a relationship with the law, which says I must love my neighbor. I have a relationship with today. I must wake up. And I have a relationship with the weak. In view of God's mercy, all eight of those relationships must be given attention. From what you eat, to what you drink, to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.